0: Well, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Um, uh, If you have your Bible, uh, hopefully you do, Uh, you can open up to Acts. Uh, We are in chapter 13 this morning, and um, if you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Um, I'd love for you to have a copy of Scripture in front of you. And we are in this series where we are seeing the way that the church was established, um, the way that the church began. And from the beginning, uh, the church was always Uh, had movement to it. It was always on mission. It was always going somewhere, right? Uh, Jesus said to his followers, he says, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, When he was with his followers before ascending into heaven, he says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it's always always had, the gospel has always had this sort of outward movement, and our church is no exception to that. We are the result of the outward movement. We were sent here, and, and, and many of us were part of other other um, movements and, and, and things, and got established a new work here. And now we are in the process of being um, a part of also that movement outward, right? Going to other places, sending people to other places, seeing the gospel go forth. And this morning, we're going to see um, just a great example of a young church um, doing this together. We're calling the sermon this morning, Missional Movement. And what we're going to see is just some components, I would even say maybe um, expectations um, so there's seven of them that we're going to see in this missional movement that the church is called to. And we're going to cover some ground this morning. So just, just so you know, um, we're going to go through chapters 13 and 14. We will not be reading every verse. Um, and what I want to see is there's some great content in here, but where, what I want to see is the, the circumstances surrounding this gospel movement. That's happening, this missional movement um, that's taking place because I think there's some of the same expectations that we can have today as we try and engage in um, missions and in sharing the gospel and going from this place. There's there's some of the very same things that they were encountering there we will and should and can expect to encounter um, here. And so it gives us just a good picture of this work that we've called to. I'm going to um, just begin our time in God's Word um, by prayer. Let's ask the Spirit to teach us now. Would you just pray with me? God, thank you for this work that you are doing in our midst. God, the way that you are moving, and God, the way that you've called, God, the way that you are going before us and using, um, Lord, your church uh, here and afar. And uh, God, we know that you are the one who's doing the work. And so I just pray that even as we look at this picture of your servants being faithful to the call that you placed on their life, that we would see and sense the call that you are placing and have placed on our life. God, help us to um, just connect dots this morning. God, to uh, hear from you, uh, to respond accordingly to you and to your word. And so we thank you for it and praise you for it. God, teach us now, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, Uh, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, uh, it says this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. All right, so we're looking at this missional movement, some of the uh, expectations that we can have in missional movement. Here's the first is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Directed by the Holy Spirit. This movement is directed by the Holy Spirit. Notice uh, they are together there at the church. It kind of lists some of the leaders uh, that were meeting together they were worshiping and they were fasting, but notice what happens. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this work to which I have called them. I believe this, that any major or kind of you know, uh, important work of God is initiated, is directed, is begun by the Holy Spirit. He stirs in the heart of his people to do the things that he's calling them to do. Right? And so we see that here. He is the initiator of all the work that we're about to, to encounter. So if you look at it, I think it's just helpful at the outset to understand that. So if we look at it and we see what's going to result of this trip that they're about to take, this mission that they're about to go on, God is the one through His holy Spirit, by Holy Spirit, He initiated all of this. He called them to this. He knew exactly what was going to be the outcome of what was going to take place. But notice how and when he comes to them and initiates it. See it in verse 2? What does it say? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. I think it's interesting for us to know that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and can lead us, I think, more clearly when we are being responsive and in right relationship with him right? Like we hear from the Lord more when we are gathered together and singing songs and opening up scripture and praying together and doing these things. God speaks to his people more clearly, more prominently in that place. That is certainly the case here. They were worshiping uh, we uh, often think of music as we think about music as we think about worship but it's uh, so much more than that it's it is singing for sure but it's also the opening of scriptures it's uh, essentially if you're to boil it down the recounting the works and nature of god in adoration and so they were recounting who the Lord is and what he has done, and they were doing that together. The church, ever since its existence, has always centered itself around that gathering together for the purpose of worship. That's not all that the church is. That's not all that the church does, but it is central and core. Like what we're doing right here, right now, this is core to who we are as followers of God, to gather together and together to proclaim God and his goodness, and then to hear from his word and to open up and to respond to him. We're doing that. And some of you can probably relate to this and you understand that maybe you've come and you've attended a service, you've come to church before, and you have heard the Lord. Maybe something that's confused you all week or something that's been burdensome to you all week, all of a sudden you walk into this place, you start singing the songs, you start um, uh, hearing and, and talking to others, you open up God's word and it's like, oh God, that's what you're trying to tell me. Has anyone had that happen? Anyone? Just me? Um, Yeah, we have that. God speaks to us in this place. And so the Holy Spirit is clearly leading. But it's not just through worship that he's using. It's also through fasting. Fasting, most of the time, when Scripture is calling it, it's, it's the temporary suspension of food, eating, right, for the purpose of seeking the Lord. Sometimes it's food and drink. Sometimes it's other things other than food. But most commonly, it's food. And they were, at the time, fasting, so that they could seek the Lord more clearly. Now, we're gonna encounter fasting a couple times, so I thought it might be helpful just to touch on it, because sometimes I think fasting is one of those missed practices of the church today. I'm um, uh, not gonna ask you to show your hands, but you know, like, how many of you, in, like even in 2022, here we are two and a half months in, um, how many of you have already fasted uh, this year? Um, my hope would be that there's many of us that have, but the reality is there's probably uh, many of us that have not. And um, I think sometimes uh, we don't understand, what we don't understand, we don't like do. And so last year, uh, around this time in January last year, we actually did, um, we finished up a series looking at the disciplines of the Christian life. Like what do you do as you follower of Christ? What are we called to do? What are some of our habits, our rhythms, our disciplines? And one of those is fasting. And so there's an entire sermon, you can find it on our website. If you're curious and want to learn more about fasting, I would encourage you to go check that out. Um, that will be helpful to you to see. But because we're looking at fasting, I thought it might be helpful to just unpack for you, and I share this in that, in that sermon as well, but the 10 reasons that we see fasting in Scripture. So can I just give you a list? Um, pro tip, you are certainly welcome to scribble it all down, but if you want to just take a picture at the end, we'll leave it up there for you, and then you can just use your phone and, and take a picture. But if you want to write these down, there's 10 reasons to fast that we see in Scripture. Here's number one. We see this to strengthen prayer. To strengthen prayer. That's actually what's about to happen in the next verse. Verse 3 says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So many times, fasting accompanies prayer. You see it kind of together. And if there is one primary reason that God's people spend time not eating in fast would be to strengthen prayer. It accompanies this. Why? Why would we do that? Um, Well, uh, again, I, I can't unpack all of it now, but but when you subs- uh, abstain from food for a season, you get hungry, right? <laughs> um, I think all of us uh, kind of feel that pain. We feel the, the hunger. It reminds us of several things. It reminds us of our frailty and our need, um, uh, just even for the s- sustaining power of food, right? We can't go very long uh, without it. Um, we are, there's something about our physical beings too. It reminds us that we're not just souls kind of trapped in some shell, uh, God made us, mind, soul, spirit, body together, like when he, he formed from the, the dust, Adam and Eve, and then breathed life into them, right? And so our bodies, we are um, embodied beings. We, our body is part of who we are. And so that physical response is, is an important thing as well. Um, that's why when we worship, it's not just about the uh, thoughts that we're thinking in our our head, But the way that we're expressing it, right, we sing out loud, we raise our hands, we, we move about, we clap, we shout, we, we respond. There's a physical response to the things that we're doing. And so we see this, this need for um, fasting, it can strengthen our prayer. John Calvin said this, any great matter of prayer should be accompanied by fasting. So that's the kind of primary reason that we see. Let me give you the rest of them. Um, the Second is to seek God's guidance, We're gonna see this in chapter 14, verse 23. They're gonna seek the Lord on something and they fast as a part of that. And so I would just ask this. Do you have a big decision that is coming up that's weighing you down, that you're not sure what to do? My wife and I have one. We're we're trying to wrestle through um, a decision that we're uh, we're trying to make. And so... um, I don't want to create all sorts of drama. We've been looking for a bigger house. We're outgrowing our house, okay? So we're trying to figure out, you know, do we move? Do we move now? Do we, like, the prices of houses are crazy. There's, like, a house that we're looking at. Like, so, you know what? We're going to seek God's guidance by fasting. If you have a big decision that you're trying to make, um, we, need to, um, we need to seek the Lord through, through that. Number three, uh, to express grief. 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12 kind of speaks to this. Um, but if you've lost a loved one and you're grieving, you're, you're mourning that loss, it is a right physical response to maybe fast as a response to that, to express grief. If you're grieved over the news, many of us over the last couple of weeks, we've been watching and seeing what's happening in the news and it's grieving to see. You could fast as a response. You're like, oh, I, don't, I feel like I need to do something. Well, maybe fasting is something that you can do to just grieve over that, or maybe you're grieved over the actions of a friend or a loved one, you can fast for that reason. Number four, uh, to seek deliverance or protection. Maybe there's something coming up, you need protection. Maybe you have a loved one that needs protection. You can kind of seek the Lord in that. That's what was happening in Ezra. The people were seeking the protection of God, and so they were fasting. Number five, to express repentance and the return to God. Jonah, upon returning to the Lord after running from the Lord, returned and then fasted. And so maybe you're stuck in sin and you know that you need to leave it behind. Part of that process could be to fast over your own sin. Maybe you've just come back to the Lord, maybe you've been away from the Lord for a while. Maybe nobody else even knows. Maybe God's the only person that knows, and he's been distant, you've been far away, and you're now back to him. Well, you could express that repentance and the return to the Lord by fasting. You can, so to to speak, supercharge your return uh, with fasting. Number six, humble oneself before God. Um, Again, it, it reveals our frailty, and so it's the right response of a humble people is to fast before the Lord. It reminds us that God, unlike us, is not sustained by anything. He doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need drink. He is completely sustained within himself. We are not like that. We need our rest. We need our food. We need whatever it might be. There's tons of things that we kind of need to keep going. And so it's to express humility and just acknowledge, God, I obviously (laughs) am much, much weaker, much more frail than you are. And so it's a humble response. Number seven, to express concern for the work of God. Nehemiah, upon uh, being burdened for the work that he was feeling led to do um, in that is uh, rebuilding that wall for God's people, right? They were unprotected uh, back there uh, in in Jerusalem and and around, and so he fasted for his people and for the need there. And so it would be a right response if you've got some ministry that you're doing in your life, right? There's a relationship that you're working on or, or somebody that you're caring for to fast for them would be an appropriate response. To fast for our church. I would love that. If you want to take some time once a month and fast for City on a Hill and what God's doing here or a particular ministry within the church, I mean, to take time and fast specifically so that you can replace that time of eating with prayer and with a calling out to the Lord. It's incredible. It's really good. Number eight, to minister to the needs of others. Some of you are so burdened because you have a loved one that's far from the Lord maybe enslaved to sin, and you're kind of like talk doesn't seem to work, even prayer alone doesn't seem to work, I would just say maybe you need to commit to fasting. You can minister through your fasting. Maybe you do it every Tuesday. Maybe you do it the first Saturday of the month. Maybe, you know, figure out a time, and just until God moves in this situation, I'm going to seek the Lord through fasting. Number nine, to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. We see this is an example that Jesus set for us before he was tempted, before he went into the wilderness, he was fasting, and we know some things about Jesus. He was not weak, he was very strong, yet he himself fasted. And so what a good uh, you know, thing for us to, uh, to do um, in that, and uh, if we have temptation or we're dedica- dedicating ourselves to the Lord, doing something new, maybe there's a new work that you're called to, and you want to make sure, God, would you prepare me? Would you ready my heart? Um, one of the ways you can do that is through fasting. And number 10, to express love and worship to God. You can fast just out of love and worship. Now, I think God knows what He's doing. You know, aside from all the spiritual benefits, there are physical benefits in that. I've been actually really. Uh, um, intrigued by some of the physical benefits that come from that. God, I think, knew what he was doing when he built this into the Jewish calendar and to the um, uh, some of the rituals and festivals and stuff. There was also times of fasting. Our bodies respond well to it. And so, again, if you want more information or want to kind of learn more about that, um, I would encourage you to check out that sermon, but then there's other resources I could gladly direct you to. But it's something that we're called to do. And I wanted to spend some time and unpack that for us because that is when... The Holy Spirit led and spoke into their situation, into their ministry here. They were worshiping, they were fasting, and the Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for this work. And so they heard from the Lord in a special way. And here's the reality that is still true today is that the Holy Spirit is still leading, and He's still directing, and He's still speaking. The question is, as we just sang, are we listening? Are we listening? because we need to hear from the Spirit. We need to understand and know what it is that He's directing us towards and what He's calling us to. And so um, it's not always, um, you know, if you're looking for some audible thing or, you know, some writing on the wall or something like that, it won't always happen necessarily in that way, but God can use Scripture. He can use conversation. He can use a prompting. He can use a leading. At times, He can speak. I mean, it's not like He can't do it. Um, It's not always that, but but He He can lead His people to where they need to go. And that's what he was doing here. And so we see the first thing about this missional movement is it's directed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The second that we see is it's commissioned by the church. Commissioned by the church. That's number two. We see this in verse three. Here's a picture of what it looks like. It says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they being the church. I um, think it's kind of worth pointing out and, and seeing what this church staff sort of looked like, um, quote unquote, staff, right? This leadership of this church. We get this picture in verse 1 um, of chapter 13. It says, There were at the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas. So, one thing we know about Barnabas is he was from the island of Cyprus, okay? Um, so, not from Jerusalem, not, uh, not, not there in Israel, but he was uh, from Cyprus, which was an island uh, nearby. Uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, your Bible might have a note like mine. It says there Niger is a Latin word meaning black or dark. So we have this black man named Simeon that was a part of this team of leaders. Lucius of Cyrene. Well, Cyrene was North African, um, so there's a good chance he was also black. And then you have uh, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So this guy grew up in the household of Herod, King Herod. Okay. Um, so you're kind of getting this diverse picture. And then you have a Jewish rabbi uh, named Saul. Right? So, this is kind of the leadership of the church. I just love it. It's kind of this like eclectic little group, and God's kind of assembled them together, and that's really what um, Antioch was all about. Remember, we saw how Antioch came to faith um, two weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Blake. uh, looked at and, and led us through um, uh, the story of Peter and his rescue last week and the power of prayer. But before that, we saw that Barnabas went to the city of Antioch, preached and proclaimed the gospel. People came to know, and it says Antioch was where disciples were first called Christians. Then we see that they were burdened over the need in Jerusalem. There was a famine, so they sent Saul and Barnabas down to deliver a gift. Right? They, were, they were already generous even as this young year. It says that they were with them for a year. And so in that first year or two of their life, they're, they're already generous. See the need. So they send Saul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 25, Paul and Barnabas returned from Jerusalem when they completed their service. And they brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. Okay? So this is kind of the group of people that's being sent out. But they were commissioned by the church. So the Holy Spirit directs them, the church commissions them. What do we mean by that? Well, you see here that after fasting and praying, right, confirming that God was in it, this is where God's leading, God, is this what you're saying? They laid their hands on them and sent them off. The laying on of hands is a physical picture of what is happening in that moment. What it means is it's nothing kind of you know mystical or magical about that, but it's a it's a picture of we are with you as you go. What they're saying is, as you go, so are we going. How crazy is it? I love when God does this. I just returned from a trip, right? I just shared an update <laughs> about going to a place, representing our church. And so you all didn't get the chance to go this time. Um, it just didn't work out. Like with the timing and COVID and what was going on with everything down there, it was like, didn't make sense to try and bring a whole team. So I went down kind of representing us. But as I went, hopefully you see and sense that Like, you're like, I got to go, too. Now, I know you're like, physically, you're like, oh, I'd really like to go. Okay, well, that's why we're going to go back, right? But it doesn't make sense. Not all of us can go. Some of us physically can't go. Others of us, it's just like, we can't can't all make it. We can't all uh, leave this place and go. And so that laying out of hands is this commissioning and saying, hey, we're with you as you go. This is still what's happening today. I mentioned um, two weeks ago, we're going to partner with um, our our network, the High Point Send Network. And... um, uh, the uh, kind of one of the main churches is in Naperville, Illinois, and um, there's a, a guy there um, who is um, on staff, leader in the church, and he uh, felt really compelled by the Lord. He is Romanian. He felt really compelled by the Lord to go over and serve in Romania to be a, a help during the crisis and help with the Ukrainian refugees coming across the border. And so two weeks ago, there was a time of commissioning there in the church. And so here's a picture of what was happening in that service. Notice there's men and women there from the church. They're laying hands on, that's Alex, uh, there in the middle. And Alex bought a one-way ticket. He's planning on being over there for at least a few months. And what he's doing while he's there is he's going to be serving. He's going to be helping translate. He's going to share the gospel. He's managing logistics. He's counseling and caring for uh, people that are fleeing um, as refugees from Ukraine. He's there communicating. He's going to be sharing videos and pictures and stories from the front lines of the relief and some of the humanitarian efforts. So like I said, we're going to share with you this week a blog that you can kind of follow along what's going on over there. And then um, also he's going to be developing, like putting together relationships and resources for the deployment of future teams from the churches around the world. So that would be another opportunity. If we want to go over there and serve there, there's going to be great need there. But Alex is sent out by not just the church there, but also by us, like he's part of our network and he's over there representing us and so we have someone on the ground, they're working with our partner churches. So I think we have to understand this connected nature of the body of Christ, right? We are an organism and we are different parts and pieces of this and so there is someone over there who is doing that. That is exactly what was happening here. They, they chose and the spirit led for Saul and Barnabas to go. They laid their hands and they sent them off They commissioned them to go. Number three, this is one of the um, expectations that you would have in missional, um, missional movement. It's this, we are compelled by the need. Compelled by the need. This is the reason why they were ultimately going, is because there was a need for some to receive and hear the gospel who had not yet heard or received it. Let's look what happens in verse four. I'm gonna kind of summarize and skip around in this section a little bit, but it says this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the God, word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So John Mark was with them. So it's Saul, Barnabas, John Mark, and probably some others. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. All right, I love opportunities. If you um, uh, know me, you know that I love to kind of have, take, take a chance to show up a map. And so we're going to look at a map this morning because there's lots of places. I know it's a little small in the back. I don't expect you to be able to read all these places, but you can kind of see the arrows. So on that right-hand side um, is where Antioch is, so this young church. A couple years old, they hear from uh, the Holy Spirit, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas out. And so they start there in Antioch, they make their way to Seleucia, which is a port city. And then from there, they sail to Cyprus. They land there at that port city of Salamis, make their way across the entire island, and then they get to Paphos. So this is the picture. Sometimes when you read, it's, maps are super helpful. Like you read all that and you're like, I don't know what that looks. But now you see it, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Again, coincidentally, Cyprus was sort of the vacation home or vacation island for the time. It was known as like the happy isle. It was like the place that you if you needed some rest and relaxation, some fun in the sun, like that is where you went. So I just, again, I think it's great. I just got back from St. Vincent. They're going to Cyprus. Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's biblical, like what we're, what we're doing here. And so this is where Barnabas is from. It's, he's going back to his hometown, his home region, and, uh, and he's there ministering. And so they kind of work their way across the whole island. Um, we're going to learn about more of these places, but let me just show you them on the map now, and then we'll see them in a minute. Uh, they make their way up to Perga, and then to Antioch, another Antioch, in, which is in uh, Pisdia, um, and then over to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then they kind of retrace their steps and go back to visit all the cities that they had been to um, in, in that place. Notice there's a line kind of going back to Jerusalem. John Mark is about to leave them um, in Perga. We're gonna come to that uh, in a minute, but that's kind of the movement of that. So why go through all that trouble? I mean, there's literally hundreds of miles that they're covering um, in, in all of that. Why, why all that trouble? Why are they going for it? Well... They are compelled by the need. The reason that they are going is because lost people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are souls that need to be saved. There is need for the gospel. And what we have here is an example of one of those souls that was saved. They come across this false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, A man of intelligence. So he called Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, this is the same, this is Bar Jesus, same guy. He's a magician. He opposed them and he sought to like distract the proconsul, turn him away from believing in this. But notice what happens in verse 9. Saul, who was called Paul, now, now, now we get his new name there. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at him, at this Bar Jesus this magician, and he said, "'You son of the devil, you enemy of all, all righteousness, "'full of deceit and villainy, "'will you not stop making crooked the, paths of, the straight paths of the Lord? "'And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. "'You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. "'And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, "'and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand.'" I would not want to be on the receiving end of that, right? When Paul, like those are some fighting words there. That, uh, but he's like led by the Spirit, which I kind of love. It's like those are harsh words, but they were harsh words that needed to be spoken because this guy was actively taking people, trying to dissuade people away from the truth of the gospel. But notice what happens. Verse 12, the proconsul, that is Sergius Paulus, when he saw this, he believed what had occurred and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Do you know that they've actually uncovered, archaeology has uncovered now um, uh, this, this name, the Sergius Paulus, and it, and it seems to indicate that he and his household were followers of Christ based on the writings and the, um, the markings on their home and, and some of that, like that was very common in the day, is that you would have some of those displays of those Christian symbols, and so he was a follower of Jesus Christ as a result of this. This is why Paul, this is why Barnabas were going, is because there was the need for people to hear the gospel. And this is why we mission movement in the church is so important. It's like we're not just called to kind of exist in these four walls and in this place. We need to go out because certainly there's need in here, but there's need out there. And there are people that need to hear about Jesus and the hope that's found in that. And so the question that I would have for us today is, are you, are we compelled by the need of the lost? Jesus himself says, when he looked at the people, he saw sheep without a shepherd, And his heart was broken, and he grieved, and he prayed that God would raise up workers to send them into the harvest. He says, the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the harvest. The reason that the workers are going is because they need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. What is that hope? That we are apart from Christ, lost in our sin, dead in our sin, but Jesus came as our Savior, and through his death and his resurrection, we find new life in him. There's forgiveness for sin, and there's freedom from sin, and there is the freedom from death, and there is hope for life eternal in Jesus Christ. That is the hope that they are carrying with them. They were compelled by the need. So it wasn't, and this is helpful, it wasn't about a good experience, right, or because they were the ones that could do it better than anyone else, or that Um, You know, they wanted to visit some new places and experience some new culture. Now, that's certainly a fun part. Like, I love visiting other people and experiencing other cultures. That's great. But the reason that we're going to engage in foreign missions in our church is not just that we can kind of travel and get more stamps in our our passports. It's because of the need for the gospel and the building up and the equipping of, of saints and the strengthening of the churches. Like, that's why we are doing this. Number four. We see that uh, one of the expectations that unfortunately comes along with this is um, we can expect that there might be some abandonment by a partner at some point. That's what happened to them. They were abandoned by a partner. We already mentioned him, but John, who was called Mark, was with them. Notice verse 13, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, we don't get all the details here, but we know that it wasn't like a great leave. This wasn't what we would call a gospel goodbye, okay? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, what, what that route that they were about to cover when they landed in Perga, it was known as one of the most dangerous passages uh, in the civilized world of the day. Uh, it was wrought with thieves and robbers and, um, you know, just... Uh, not not great crowds, kind of on the streets. In addition, there was is physically challenging. It's a, it's a it's a physically difficult trail to take, and so you get the sense that John, who was called Mark, which by the way, um, part of the reason that he was even on this journey was he is the cousin to Barnabas. So that was there was kind of some blood relationship there. Um, uh, he 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 came and it was a part of. They brought him back from Jerusalem, so maybe he was kind of intrigued by the whole like. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the allure of the ministry, and like, oh man, this is great. Like, we're going to go and do this. We're going to go to the island of Cyprus. We're going to see some things and do some things. But then I think getting into it, maybe it was harder on Cyprus. They didn't see as much fruit as he anticipated. So, because like, this is a lot harder than I thought. And then they get to there and we're going to go through that. Like, I, I, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. He got on a ship and went all the way back to Jerusalem. And this caused some division. We're going to come to it in another chapter, um, but at the end of uh, chapter uh, 15, Paul and Barnabas end up actually separating over this. They're ready to take a second journey, and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark with him. Oh, I should have said this too. One of the other things we know about John Mark, he wasn't like some um, like scrub. Uh, John Mark wrote the book of Mark. Like the Gospel of Mark, you know, one of the four Gospels. Like he, he was used by God. So this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't some second-rate guy that's, you know, kind of on the back seat. Like this is, he penned the Gospel of Mark. But Barnabas wants to bring him again. And Paul's like, no way. It's like he abandoned us before. We're, we're not going to bring him again. And they actually divided over it. There was a disagreement and they went kind of separate ways over that. Barnabas taking John Mark and Paul um, taking Titus. Now, just to bring things full circle, we learn, I think it was in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul writing to the church there says, bring with you Mark because he is of value to me. I could use him. I love that because I think sometimes we, we've, we realize, oh wait, there was this abandonment, but yet later we see that he was restored to ministry. And again, he penned the gospel, one of the four gospel accounts that we have of Jesus' life. So it's not like kind of down on him, but, but here's the thing is that this might and will probably happen. As we engage in real ministry, meaningful ministry, there are people that we are partnering with that may not be there at the end. And so, how do we embrace for this? How do we account for this? Well, one, I think we need to first begin by expecting the difficulty. If you want to see real ministry happen in your life, you can expect difficulty to come. If there is no trial, if there is no trouble, then the enemy is probably unbothered by you. Maybe you've experienced this, right? If you start engaging in ministry, like you start leaning into a relationship, you start, you know, really using your gifts and skills for the Lord, what happens? There's opposition that comes. There's a real enemy and he would love nothing more than to uh to, to destroy, to kind of push down to um obstruct any ministry that we're having. And I'm just telling you, anytime that something great is happening, I've seen more and more opposition. Like more if, like equipment will start failing, um we'll get like my family, I've seen more sickness in times of ministry. Um, the whole time I was gone in, in uh, on this trip, my family was back here sick. I was sick right before I left. It wasn't COVID because I had to take an expensive PCR test. But, um, it uh, you know, there's like physical sickness that often comes. I'm just telling you, we finished the retreat and one of the guys on the way home got in a car accident. Um, one of the cars we were driving wouldn't start. Um, uh, there was other kind of things that were like, man, this is like feels like... There's opposition to what we're trying to do here. And so we need to expect difficulty. If you're going to engage in real ministry, it will be hard. And so don't be surprised when the difficulty comes. I think for John Mark, things got hard, and he's like, "I, I don't know if I can do it. So I would just ask, you know, what are you committing to? How long are you committing for it? And are you willing to maybe ride through some of the bumpy parts? Because there are difficult things that come. Some of that's relational, some of that's physical, some of that's just pure, like, you know, I don't know if I can, if I can handle that, or, or I don't know if I have the capacity for that, I need to stretch, I need to grow, I need to, you know, there's difficulty that comes, but I would just encourage you, commit for the long haul, because when it gets difficult, you know at the beginning, you're like, okay, I'm expecting the difficulty, so when it comes, I'm not going to abandon ship, I'm not going to bail. On the other side, don't be surprised if everyone who you're sort of locked arms with now is not still there at the end. I have a lot of friends that I went to school with. I went to Bible school. I studied ministry and do ministry. And I have many friends that I was in school with that were sold out, on fire, whatever word you want to use. They were committed to the Lord and to ministry. And now they have walked away from the faith. So that's not even what we're talking about with John Mark, but they've, they've completely abandoned Christ altogether. Some have renounced what they once held to. There's others that I've endeavored with and kind of partnered with, and we were like locked arms serving together, and then something came up, and they just like, were like, you know what, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Expect that there's going to be some abandonment by partners in that. And again, that doesn't mean that it's all over and that it's done and that we just kind of write them off and they're dead to us and whatever, you know. Um, they get restored. Like Mark was restored later to Paul. It's a beautiful picture of that. And again, this is different than a gospel goodbye. In that sending out, in that mission movement, sometimes we're going to send people out and that's not abandonment. They're, they're being called. Sometimes people are genuinely called to other places. And so we should have the freedom to release Like, I know that there's going to be a time, some of you sitting in this room, room this big, like you might feel called or compelled to like invest in another church in town. (gasps) Like, you know what? If that's where God's leading you and that's going to be a better fit and there's some like, you know, reasons for that and you're doing it in a healthy, good way and affirming of what's happening, like, well then, okay, like, that's all right. We'll say goodbye. Like, those are, those are different. Or if you're feeling called to go to, a, to a, another place and to another, another ministry or something else, and, and God's like leading in that, well, we want to release you. It's not like you're like stuck here and like, I have to stay here and I can't go anywhere else. This is where I'm going to serve till I die kind of thing. That's just not the picture that we see. We see this releasing, this sending out. But again, that's John Mark was abandoning. So that's an expectation you can have. Let's keep going. Number five, they were convinced by the resurrection convinced by the resurrection. Man, I wish we had more time for this, but um, you could take an entire week and just kind of talk about this sermon. This is Paul's first recorded sermon for us here. But what you see, and I would encourage you to read it later, is similar to some of the other sermons we've encountered so far. But Paul was convinced of the power of the resurrection. In verse 29 and 28, he says, um, he's speaking to the death of Jesus. He says, when they found him In him, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. He's like, this Jesus was raised to the dead, and he appeared to hundreds of people, and they're now all witnesses. They're still living. And he's like, I'm one of them. I saw the risen Christ. I am witness to the risen Jesus. And so I think it's just a good reminder for us that we need to be convinced of the power of the resurrection. Remember like those old-timey movies where like the, um, the, the, the kind of um, little healer would sort of like pull into town with his little, um, you know, trailer of wares, you know, the snake oil and the different like medicinal things that he would kind of do. Like you ever see any like sort of Western like that and there's like, you know, that guy, you know what I'm talking about? Like you got a picture for that? Yeah? Not your head if you're with me. You're with me, right? Okay, cool, cool. All right, so I think sometimes, sometimes the way that we handle the gospel is we feel like we're peddling this like snake oil that we're sold out on, but we're not sure if it's gonna work for them. And it's not that at all. Like we have the hope of the resurrection, the same power that raised Christ is the same power that's at work in the church today, the same power that's at work in you. And so that's why Paul says in Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He is convinced by the power of the resurrection. And so as he's strolling into town, he knows that he's bringing with him something that the town needs, that the people need. And the same is true for you, as you are sharing with your loved one, with your unsaved friend, with your neighbor, with your coworker, with whoever God brings apart your path. You have the hope of the gospel that they need. Are you convinced of the power of the resurrection? Do you believe that the same power that raised Christ can raise them? The same power of Christ that raised you can also work in the hearts of others. It's still at work today. He was convinced of it. And so as they went from town to town, as they brought it, they were bringing real hope for people that were unable to find it anywhere else. This is the only place the hope in God can be found. It's right here in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, there wasn't just that opposition from within, that abandonment from within, but they were opposed on the outside. That's number six. You can expect to be opposed by the lost. It always, um, you know, never ceases to amaze me when Christians are surprised when the lost act like the lost they lost. They need the hope of the gospel. So they're acting like it. They are against this. They don't want to acknowledge their need for a savior and give up their, their, their life and their way and, and humble themselves. And so we see this. I wish we could look at all of this, but verse 50, it says, the Jews incited devout women of high standing and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust of their feet and against them they went to Iconium, And there the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The persecution continues. Chapter 14 It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up and the Gentiles poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace and granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when attempts were made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystria and Derbe, into and the cities of Laotia, or La, uh, Lyconia, is what I mean, uh, into the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. We see that it doesn't end there. It says Jews came up all the way from Antioch and Iconium. They would have traveled 100 plus miles to come to where they were, and they persuaded crowds, verse 19. They persuaded crowds and stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. You want to talk about real opposition? There was real opposition to the gospel. I mean, there's this miracle that happens that I skipped right over in verse 14 that happens, and yet they're still opposing. This man was crippled from birth, starts to walk, and they're still opposing it. Like, nah, I don't buy it. I don't believe this this is real. The need is great, and so we are going into and carrying this message to the lost. And the lost will act like the lost. The lost will oppose the message. They are opposing here. But the church is strengthened and encouraged by the response. That's the last thing. They're encouraged by the response. We see that they pass through all of these towns. They come back to Antioch, where they had started. And they, verse 27, when they arrived and gathered at the church together, they declared that all God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained there for no little time. They rejoiced in what God has done. They were encouraged by the response of the people. God's working in their hearts. And here is, again, where we see what we have been called to. I just want to kind of close it with this and just say this. Like, we want to be a church who is actively involved in this missional movement. That it's not, again, just about what's happening here, but it's about what, what are we doing out there? How are we going from this place? And so one of the things that we want to see is we want to equip leaders, we want to equip you, in your context, in your place. You don't have to get up and move. You don't have to move to another place. You don't have to get in a boat. You don't have to get in a plane. You don't have to uh, drive your car a long distance. You can do it right where you're at. We want to equip you as a church to bring the gospel wherever it is that you are going. You can do that right where you are at, in your school, on your block, in your workplace. But we also do want to raise up and send out missionaries. We're going to send people. Feel called and compelled to go. You know who in this room? Maybe in the next couple of years, God is going to lay on your heart. The Holy Spirit is going to direct you toward a new work that you're going to uproot, your family, sell your house, sell your possessions, and go somewhere to do it. We want to be a part of that. We want to send people out, and we want to see more churches planted. We are the result of churches planting churches. We were planted by a couple churches. We're in the process. This morning there was actually a watch party down in Monroe. Redemption Church, the core group is growing. They're now gathering on Sunday mornings and having kind of these, um, these watch parties. So they joined our service this morning. Um, Lord willing, that church will launch this fall and there will be a new work established there. We want to see them establish more works. We want to plant more churches. We want to be a pl- church planting church. We, want church. we want to plant churches that plant churches. We want to see this mission go out and this work go forth. It's not stopping here because that's this picture that we see here But where does it start? It starts with just the willingness that you and I have to embrace the call that God has on our life. This isn't just a corporate call. This is an individual call. There's a call on our individual lives to be a part of this mission and wherever it is that we are. Are you at that spot? Are you willing to hear from the Lord and to engage in the mission, whatever it looks like, that he's called us to because we are all part of this work. I'm gonna invite the team forward and then we're gonna respond and worship together as we close our service. God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, for the good work that you are doing here in this place. And Lord, we pray that you would multiply our efforts, that you would send us out from here. God, even now that you would be stirring in the hearts of of some of us here in this place that would go from here. Maybe, God, there are some in this room that are going to be used to plant a new church God, maybe some in this room are going to be a part of a group of people that are going to help start a new work somewhere. God, maybe there's a new ministry. God, maybe there's a a life around us that needs to hear. God, there are so many needs all around us. Give us eyes to see. Would you stir in our hearts? Lord, give us um, desire for the things that uh, stir your heart, God. We pray that you would use us. And everything that you've equipped us with, God, everything that you are, we give ourselves to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.